The Zaddy Zone, welcome to the Zaddy Zone, Zaddy Zone, welcome to the Zaddy Zone, my sweet Zaddies. This episode of the Zaddy Zone is brought to you by a product I use literally every morning first thing. AG1. It is the ultimate multivitamin, especially if you want to make health and wellness simple for yourself. So what's in it and why do I take it every morning? Well, one scoop of AG1, I'm absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, adaptogens to help me start my day right. This special blend of ingredients supports gut health, the nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all the things. My favorite ingredients in particular in there, I love getting zinc first thing in the morning and I love getting some ashwagandha because I know it's great for all of those stressful days, right? It's keto, it's paleo, it's vegan. Can you imagine meeting that as a person, a keto paleo vegan? They would be terrible, but this as a product is delicious. It supports clear thinking, better gut health. It's a delicious way to start every day and you start the day with like a serving of greens. That is a win. Let's talk cost, $3 a day. Don't at me, less than a coffee a day, you can have athletic greens, $3 a day. I started drinking it because Andrew Huberman drinks it. David Sinclair drinks it. Tim Ferriss drinks it. And I do what they do because, well, they, they know what they're talking about. You know what I mean? Athletic Greens is going to give you, listen to this, a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash zaddy. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash zaddy to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Welcome to the very first in-person episode of The Zaddy Zone. We are talking birth, but not just any birth, my personal birth, where I went through 12 horrifying hours yes, of contraction. I am the I am the hero of this story. Um, just joking. We're here to talk today about Kara Cook's birth of Aussie Benjamin Cook. Um, and it was such an amazing... Alexander, you got his name wrong. Okay, Chaplain Benjamin, Aussie Alexander. Now, Ollie Alexander, what the fuck <laughs> is happening here? Look, um, so we're going to be talking about what an amazing experience it was, what a crazy experience it was. So in order to talk about it, we've brought in Abby Vidikin. Our midwife, who is a, an absolute legend. Abby, how many births have you done? Just about 300. 300. Mm-hmm. And how many of those are home births? Overwhelmingly, like 90, probably 95% of them. 95%. Okay. And, um, and Becca, Rebecca Richter is in the building today. She is Kara's best friend. She's my acquaintance. Uh, but she's also our doula. And fun fact about Rebecca, she introduced me and Kara. Yes, I will take full credit. Yeah, as, as you as should. You now, uh, Rebecca, what is a doula? Wow. So if you think about, um, you know, if you were to look up the the description of a doula in a mm-hmm. dictionary, it would say emotional and physical support for a pregnant person. There's really two different kinds of um, doulas. There's childbirth where you help the women throughout pregnancy and then, and then, you know, the birth itself. And then there are postpartum doulas that kind of, you know, take the reins after the baby's born. And, you know, there's two different ways of doing it. But I would say that, you know, 
even though that's the description and the definition of what a doula is, I think there's a lot more that goes in with that. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Uh, I guess a doula, and the way that we saw it, but it was like you're being a doula to Kara, who's your best friend, is like very emotionally supportive and they're the entire time, whereas a midwife kind of comes a little bit later in the process of birth, right? I think the best way to describe it is that a midwife in the in the way that people view sort of like the birth setting, the midwife replaces the medical the the doctor, right? Mm. The obstetrician. So midwives in California were licensed through the Medical Board of California. So our job is the physical well being, the medical well being of both mom and baby, where doula's role is to be the physical and emotional support person for the pregnant woman. And it's not to say that midwives don't offer emotional and physical support in in a different way, but our primary role in the birth setting is really to be medically responsible for mom and baby. Got it. Got and it. like what Abby was saying, I give like no medical advice, Either. information, anything. But mm. I will provide data along with you know abby for people to figure out any medical choices that they do want to make but and someone once said to me that when you choose a doula Mm -hmm. they should feel energetically like a best friend so that was really nice given that becca was both yeah (laughs) yeah yeah um amazing and what is your name (laughs) cara cook i'm your better half and the Mm. mother of your children yes we share a vagina Mm. (laughs) um and cara uh let's uh, Fun fact about you. Now, let's start right at the very beginning. Mm. Conception. Uh, of course. It's about you, isn't it? You want this story to be about you? It's, it's half about me, isn't it? So cons- the conception of Ozzy was when? Uh, actually, Becca apparently knows that better than both of us do. She's got all the details. Yes. I, I was upstairs. She's literally been there from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I really have. And I was upstairs. We were getting ready for a concert. And I was like where the fuck is Kara? And I, you know, 20 minutes go by and I'm like, they are in the bedroom. Mm. And then I thought about it and I was like, they're making a baby right now. Was it really a whole 20 minutes though? <laughs> 20 minutes at most. A little less. I, I don't get the whole two hour, one hour thing. I'm like, who's got the time for that? 15 minutes, yeah, ideal. Yeah. yeah. Ideal. I agree. Five, five minutes of eating, Eating. And then five minutes of sucking, <laughs> oh and then five God. minutes of intercourse. This is very graphic. <sighs> anyway, that's how Ozzy was made. It was what it was was Casey Musgraves. They were going to this concert, and, and you were dressed up. as like yeah, yeah, yeah. these that's little like cities, like space cowgirls, space cowgirls. It was, and you were, came down the stairs. You that, were so hot. That's what gets Luke Cook going. I had space I, cowgirls. apparently, and it just it just had to happen. No, but let's go a little bit further in the process. How'd your water break? Again, oh, Luke's the hero of the story. <laughs> well, I think so. Friday was our last prenatal appointment with mm-hmm. Abby, and she brought Erica. Is it Eric? It's Erica, right? Eric- Emily. Emily. God damn it. Almost. Um, Emily, who was her, who's her assistant. Mm-hmm. And Emily was telling me that having intercourse really helped her labor start with her children. Mm. And so, even though it was the last thing I felt like doing on the Saturday, I was like, okay, let's let's get this going. Yeah. And I propositioned you for sex, oh which was easy. Easy. It wasn't <laughs> even a proposition. It was yeah, it was a it was a joy. It was the most heavily pregnant sex we've ever had. It was so fantastic. It was nice actually. Because it was the, like yeah. it was purposeful. I was like, this is this is gonna bring this baby out. Yeah, see, all about you. Mm. <laughs> In it. 
But it was crazy the amount, and this is going to sound graphic, but the amount of like fluid mm. <laughs> that came out was insane. Like mm. we had to send graphic images to Rebecca to yes. be like, what is this? It's not semen. It's not from me. Well, I mean, it no, was, it was from a mix. It, it was from both of you. It was from both of us, but so, mostly from you. Because Rebecca doesn't um, isn't supposed to offer any form of medical advice, I then received yeah, the, the, the photos, um, and I zoomed in and carefully analyzed what I thought was <laughs> semen, and then made sure that the rest was did in fact seem like amniotic fluid, as it was not. So I, I very I very closely analyzed that photo. In great in fact, detail. Abby's response was, maybe Luke just hasn't ejaculated in 10 years. No, I said it, it would was. only be possible that okay, <laughs> yeah. that was not amniotic fluid if Luke had not ejaculated in 10 years, which I knew not to be true. because It had been a while, though, and uh, I've been taking this thing called zinc picolinate, which I think leads to a heavy load, but this was heavier than... I've ever we've ever experienced. I think like, you should the include the photo wet. in like the show details. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Not. You should, I literally, you I literally, because I, I, I was sending it to the scientist for reference. I wanted to, <laughs> so I put my hand next to, so just to show them like how big of a, of a whatever this was. I was like, okay, just so you know how big this is. It was huge. I put my hand next to it, which I thought was very scientific in a way. I was yeah. gonna, he was going to use a dollar bill. That's what detectives do. Investigators use a dollar bill for their photos. It was really wet. It was a lot of fluid. <laughs> so it was clearly, you know, the water breaking, yeah. Yeah. which we yeah. found out later was the, the four bag. I didn't know there were two bags of, of water. Yeah. Something good to talk about because I feel like not many people know about that. Yeah. No, yeah so there is, I mean, we don't know with, well, I guess we do know with some amount of certainty because there was, a, a, we can tell the, about the other bag later on the story, I guess, but... Um, there are two layers of the amniotic sac. You have your amnion and you have your chorion. And it is possible for fluid to build up in between both layers of the sac. So mm -hmm. there are cases where you see the water, or where what's released is the water in between the amnion and the chorion that kind of hangs out underneath the baby's head, what we call the four bag. Mm -hmm. um, it's also possible to have a high leak in the sac. So essentially, like think like a leak further up in your uterus towards the top of the amniotic sac. How would that break, like a, up the top? So... It be orgasm, if, assuming you orgasmed, which I don't know for any amount of certainty, but it's, <laughs> <laughs> we didn't, we never covered that part. Um, it, that can cause a contraction, uh, fetal movement, sense. like the baby can kind of kick and snag the yeah. bag. Um, but any of those things could have led to a small rupture, a small break in the bag, which would have released mm. that fluid. So, right. that, so that you're saying that intercourse is actually super helpful when. When you are full term and it is time for the bag to break. Yeah, but. well, so there's multiple reasons why intercourse is helpful. But so one would be that if if she orgasms, that it can stimulate contractions to start. Mm -hmm. um, the other is that semen has, has something called prostaglandins in it, which is a protein that helps to actually soften the cervix. Mm. Um, but then even so, then the combination of the two, the softening of the cervix, the cause the contractions from an orgasm, all of that can help kind of stimulate labor to start. I will say that it does it does seem to be pretty effective yeah. um, if you do. It's not going to work for everybody, but it does. If the body is ready, it does seem to be an effective method to bring labor on. Um, I also have a my own personal theory is that when women abstain from sex for long periods of time at the end of pregnancy, I do feel like they tend to go later. Mm. It's almost like the body is meant to have like it's it's sex is a very natural thing for the body. It's almost like women should should probably continue that. Throughout pregnancy for things to sex got the baby in there and sex gets the baby out. So we always right? say the energy that got the baby in is yeah. the energy that got the baby out. So. Mm. 
That makes sense. Uh, Cara, next, what happened? So the your water broke, and then how long until like contractions kind of began? So I think it was like twenty four hours of mi- like mild cramping, so like kind of like period pain, mm-hmm. and then the next night, which would have been Sunday night, they started to ramp up a little and feel more like contractions. There was more consistency to them. And then I like I knew I had to sleep at that point that night because I was like, okay, I'm probably going to go into like proper labor overnight and then I'm not going to get any rest. Mm. And Becca had mentioned you have to really try and sleep and ignore the contractions for as long as you can. Um, and then it was like 5 a.m. that morning, so Monday morning, that I couldn't sleep through the contractions anymore. Um, so I got up, I watched a film. You were still sleeping, of mm. course. Um, got up, watched a film. Becca came over at around 10 or 11 or so. And I think by then they had started to kind of be regularly spaced and like maybe like 10 minutes apart, a minute at a time. And enough to like stop you in your tracks a little bit. Like no no speaking through them, like swaying a little bit, you know, but... You were vocal at that point also a little bit. Yeah, at that point it was kind of fun. Like, Becca and I watched a film. We watched some ridiculous, like, Lindsay Lohan Christmas film. Yeah, it was But so it was, good. like, kind of, like, we were, like, joking. And I was like, this is kind of fun. And then it, like, gets not no, fun. No, and then, like, I think we were laughing about it. And then an hour later, we look at each other. And she looks at me and she goes, this is fucked, isn't it? And I was like, yes. I was like, wow, this is really, like, ramping up. And this is not fun anymore. This is oh, fucked. Mm, mm. I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And this little did I know, there was still a lot more of, like, fucked to go. Um, that was the last time we left. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And that was the last time I paid attention to, like, the film or anything. I think I had my eyes closed, like, for the rest of the labor. Mm-hmm. Um, then Abby got there at, like, four-ish, which, is, which was really nice, because I think typically Abby wouldn't arrive that early on in a labor. Um, but she's my new best friend, so she came early. It seemed like, it seemed like here was the place to be, so I yeah. like, She didn't want to miss the party. I also want to interject for one second, because I don't want to get shit for the fact that your water was broken for more than 24 hours, because typically in, in, in like the medical, in a hospital setting, you know, doctors will often say that they don't like for the water to be broken for more than 24 hours, because it can lead to an increased risk of infection, which is something that you and I talked about, because I had yeah. come over on Sunday and checked on you. Yeah. So the, the morning after your water broke, I had come over and kind of checked on you, checked on the baby. We had talked through some, you know, some options in terms of if you wanted some monitoring done, if you wanted to, you know, get the baby checked on. And um, we'd gone over the night before just ways to avoid infection. So yeah. nothing in, no more things inside the no vagina after yeah. no that. Sex. It was not, yeah, it was not my time. Proper wiping from front to back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't already do that. Oh, You're disgusting. That's how I do things. Oh, uh, we've got a little friend that's coming in here. I think we've got a little interjection. Look who it is! It's Youngma and and it's Aussie. Aussie. (laughs) Um, Do you want to come and sit in the middle? Wow. If we can get you in? Yeah. We can make room. We can make room. Well, welcome to uh, Tracy, who is Kara's mum, my mother-in-law, and she's got little Aussie Alexander with her. He is, is he fast? He's asleep. Fast asleep. Okay, so, um, Tracy, hi. Hi. Um, we're going to get into what was going on during the during the labor in just a moment. So, we're talking about, um, you were watching a movie, Cara, with Becca. Abby came over at four. Abby, you don't usually come over and enter the birth as a midwife until later in the process. So, normally, once, like an active labor pattern has been established. So basically when things are closer together, um, 
when, you know, mom is is really, really going through the motion. So when I walked in, Cara was had sunglasses on. She was we sort of navigating yeah. your living room. And it was like, it was very much like a hangout. Yeah. Um, but if, if you remember like a few hours later, she went back into her bedroom. Things seemed to get more intense with mm-hmm. you. Things seemed to get way more intense. That's usually the time that I would arrive. But I will say also that I think that our job needs to be fluid and that circumstances could definitely dictate when it's necessary to be at a birth. And there was, you know, again, because Car's water had been broken for so long, even though there was, she, you know, she was very low risk for infection, it did also feel better getting here a little bit earlier just so I could you know keep an eye on Ozzy keep an eye on on Cara make sure that like no infections were brewing so yeah I definitely showed up a little bit earlier to just hang yeah Yeah. it had also been like (laughs) three weeks I had actually had like a longer than usual break in between births and so it was kind of nice just to be yeah to be in that space again and I knew it was gonna be fun yeah (laughs) also too I wanted to add that when we talk about resting and watching a movie Kara is in positions that are, I'd say, you know, called active resting, where she's in positions that are helping her to move along labor in a way that's helpful for positioning the baby. Mm. Whether that's a peanut ball. Don't say it. Don't say the word. (laughs) Don't say the P word. Kara hates the peanut ball because her contractions were the best and most painful. Because it's effective. Yeah, it's really effective. Yeah. And what other positions other than the peanut ball? Like you can be bouncing on an exercise ball, like just a regular exercise ball or sitting in a certain position. Yes. And thinking about posture too. So keeping your hips open and forward so that you're, if you think about, I wish, oh, I have a baby and a cervix in the car, but. You got a baby right there Um, if you need one. I can't turn him upside down. We've all got, all all of you got cervixes. Right. (laughs) But if you think about, you know, the baby's position inside and, applying the right amount of pressure on the inside of your cervix in order to dilate, making sure that the posture of your back and your hips is in a way to support that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now let's get to the nitty gritty, the beginning of labor, which was, uh, or we're kind of already past the active. beginning of labor. We're in active labor. Okay. Now um, tell me just when the contractions were getting thicker and deeper, I think you and I had gone into the room and we were in darkness. And the reason we're in darkness, so you can clarify this for me, Abby and Becca, is that like melatonin, like the darkness hormone increases or helps the cervix dilate or something like that is that right melatonin the melatonin is a hormone it's a hormone that we secrete when it's dark outside when we want to go to sleep melatonin affects the production of oxytocin so melatonin an increase in melatonin can lead to an increase in oxytocin and oxytocin oxytocin is our love hormone it's a hormone we secrete when we hug someone when we have sex but it and is the primary driver of labor um and so melatonin can sometimes spike or increase the amount of oxytocin in the system. Mm. The other thing is, is like if you, you know, every other mammal tends to go to a safe, secure place to give birth, right? So I always say like uh, if you have a cat, a pregnant cat at home, they will often give birth in the laundry room, right? It's Mm. usually dark. There's usually piles of clothes that they can kind of burrow into. But if you take that same cat and you put them in the middle of a Super Bowl party, their whole labor is going to shut down. And women as mammals, we're very much the same way. And so part of, I think, darkness is just feeling feeling safe feeling secure it's a more intimate environment Mm -hmm. so i think the body relaxes and feels at peace Mm -hmm. and it allows for that natural process to occur where if you know adrenaline starts to spike that can completely counteract the flow of oxytocin and the flow of someone's labor so many women just feel safer and more secure in darkness and that's part of why home births are are 
can be better, like a bit of a pro of a home birth is you're in, a, you're in an environment that makes you feel safe? Well, I'm going to add one thing. I think it's dependent on the person because for for some women, being at home is what feels safe. Yeah. Right? And safety is what makes, you know, good birthing outcomes in terms of like your mental state and what your body is doing. But there are some women who feel safer in hospital. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... I think when deciding on home birth or hospital, I think having all the information of what happens at those two different places and the differences in those birthing experiences is information that you need to understand where you're going to feel more, most safe. Yeah. And to piggyback on that, I am obviously a huge proponent of home birth. It's where I, cho- it's where I chose to have my children. It's, it's the environment that I feel most comfortable in. It's the environment that I enjoy working in. But I will always tell a woman that she has to give birth where she feels safest and if that is in a hospital if that is in a birth center then that's where old whether she acknowledges it before labor or during labor her body will lead her to the place where she feels safest Mm -hmm. and so you never want to plan a home birth if the if hospital is in the back of your mind is possibly that safest environment because your body will take you there like you will just you will never let go enough to give birth at home if you don't feel safest here yeah that's that's super interesting i want to flip it over to tracy now because tracy you gave birth at home didn't you twice yeah, well, I gave birth at home with Cara, and then I went and had my own birthing centre. So it's basically having a home birth, and then as long as everything's fine, you just go straight home. So we have birthing centres in New Zealand and Australia. It's a home birth environment. It's set up right next to a hospital, or very close to a hospital, to cater for those people who are too far away from a hospital but want a home birth experience. But you it's all natural. They don't have any drugs, no epidurals, no nothing, maybe gas. I had gas with Cara when I was at home, um, which was fun. <clears throat> um, but, yeah, so I had two home births, and I, my home births were great. Yeah. I had, had no problems whatsoever. Back in those days, not that it was long ago, I'm just saying, like back in those days, were you offered a hospital birth? Like was it an option to be give birth in a hospital? No, no. Where we lived at the time, everybody was having home births. Wow. Because, and I grew up, a hospital was where you go to when you're sick. Mm-hmm. So it didn't make any sense to me to have a baby at a hospital. It made more sense to have a baby at home. My sister-in-law had home births. She had four. Her sister-in-laws from her partner's um, sisters, they all had home births, so it was just a natural progression to have a home birth. And it's still very common in New Zealand to have yeah. a home birth. Maybe. But we also have the doctors come to home births. So I had my doctor. Oh, right. We didn't have paediatricians back in those days because that's pretty fancy. You know, we have all of those now, but we just had a general doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would come to the house um, if we needed him. But the midwife was fine. She didn't need the doctor, but he was available if we needed him to come and check you out. Amazing. And Cara, were you scared? I mean, was there a part of you that was like wanting to give birth in a hospital? Was there a fear inside of you that was like, I'd actually prefer to be there at any point? No. I was actually more afraid having the cesarean with Chaplin. Mm. Just because I'd never been in a hospital before. Right. And I was yeah. the same mentality as mom. I'm like, hospital's where you go if you're sick or dying. Mm. And so to have to to be healthy and to have a really like, to have an uncomplicated pregnancy and then to have to go and have your baby like cut out of you. I was like, this seems strange and it's really scary. And you're like wheeled into surgery wide awake mm-hmm. and cut open. It's mm-hmm. that that's was really scary to me. So um I think 
having a home birth was much less terrifying. And also it, it happens so gradually that you like have time to just like get into a flow every time it ramps up mm. and it feels way more natural. It's like this makes sense. Let's talk about when it really started to ramp up when we went into that room and we pulled all the blinds down. We played cigarettes after sex. We played cigarettes <laughs> after sex. <laughs> yeah. And... um it's it's a it's a band. We didn't smoke. We didn't. Mom's like, Mom's like, can I have some? Why was I left? That was that's what Tracy was doing upstairs. Um, okay, so we were in a darkened room, and um, that's when it really started to ramp up. We you had the peanut ball, peanut ball. Yeah, so it's just you and I in our bedroom with the the lights really low mm-hmm. or maybe off. I don't really remember. Cigarettes after sex, the peanut ball. Becca and Abby had kind of left us to do our thing because I think like that's often when labor kind of gets moving. Well, also like to promote the flow of oxytocin, right? Like you're in an intimate environment with your partner, you know, I guess the love of your life, right? Maybe. Sure, so. we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> you know, lights are out. It, it allows her to get into a different flow than when she's being observed by, you know, two women who don't typically observe her in intimate settings. So. Wow. I mean, Becca. <laughs> Becca's seen me pretty intimately. I'm not going to lie. Can you have sex? I mean, now I have two. Yeah, now you have two. Can you have sex while in labor? If your water is not broken, technically, yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Do people do it? I mean, I'm sure a few brave souls have definitely, uh, definitely tried it. Does it quicken it up? So there, um, there's actually, there's actually a book called Orgasmic Birth where uh, it was written by a midwife where she advocates for orgasming wow. during labor. Um, having been in labor three times, I can't there's say that no there way. was ever a moment where I was like, oh, an <laughs> orgasm sounds really no. good right now. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, there's a whole book and a whole documentary if anybody wants to check it out where you can watch a bunch of women orgasm right before their baby comes. Wow. Wow. Because <laughs> my mom was a midwife and she told me about how <laughs> a guy was having, was in this in a hospital birth having sex with his wife and, and I go, well, what did you do? And she goes, I just smacked him away. <laughs> and I'm like, well, it is weird. I mean, I'm like, it, well, it isn't weird that a guy wants to have sex with his wife during labor. It is weird that he's doing it in front of nurses. <laughs> Like he was probably a sex pest. Um, so let's go to when it really started to ramp up. Was like every five minutes we were on the peanut ball. Is that right? I mean, it starts to ramp up when you're in like transition. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I honestly like after we were in the room together. It's very blurry to me. I literally feel like I just went to a different place. Like I had my eyes closed. I just wanted it over <laughs> from that moment on. So the details are really. A bit blurry. Could you describe the feeling to me? Of a contraction? contraction. I think mum describes it really well when she says it's like um, it's like someone trying to fit you through a really small small tire. Like a fit tire. Is, yeah, like tire. like it's like a squeezing. Yeah. Oh, oh, you know when like, you go and get your tire fixed because you've got a puncture? Yeah. They put it on that machine. Yeah. So imagine that around your waist and then they're pumping the tire up and you're Stomach's getting smaller because it's squishing the baby down. Oh, it's like toothpaste. The more you squish it, the more the toothpaste yeah, yeah, comes yeah. out. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good. So yeah. the uterus at the time that a woman is like ready for delivery is it's the size of a, so it starts out the size of a walnut, mm-hmm. and then it grows to essentially five hundred times its original capacity, mm-hmm. and it's a very it's a large muscle. So if you've ever had like a Charlie horse, right? 
picture like a Charlie horse, the equivalent of that, right? So that that's a muscle, like an involuntary contraction of the muscle. Um, but it's also simultaneously, it has it has two different layers. So it's simultaneously pushing from the top to help bring the baby down lower into the pelvis, but then contracting at the same time. So the contraction aspect of it is like the painful side mm-hmm. of it, the uncomfortable side of it. But it's also that tightening sensation simultaneously mm-hmm. happening. Yeah. Um, but it's, I mean, it's, it's an extremely large muscle when all of this is happening, which mm. is what makes it so much more uncomfortable it's very intense yeah it's very yeah. Intense. it's i mean it's the most painful thing i'll ever feel it's definitely painful i'm not gonna lie yeah yeah well i remember you feeling it doing a contraction and in a break i asked you like what does that feel like and you go it's like really bad period pain i'm like i'm no closer to understanding yeah. <laughs> what that feels understand. like yeah you i won't ever understand yeah, yeah yeah so and then i think from there we went in like we we would transferred from the bed on the peanut ball to, I think you were over to the bench. And whenever you had a contraction, I would squeeze the top of your hips together. I kind of like, I didn't have the technique and I learned it. Becca came and helped me at one point and did it. And then Kara goes, Luke, just do whatever Becca just did. That's what you're going to do from now on. And, uh, and then from there we went to the shower. You felt like you wanted to be in the shower. Yeah. I think from that moment on, I was kind of moving from the shower to the toilet, back to the bed, back to the um the wardrobe that i was standing over mm. um because at that point water felt really good i'm gonna add one thing too um there was one point sometime around here where you looked at me and or maybe it was like an hour before we got to this point but you looked at me and you're like wow it's just really like me figuring out how to get comfortable mm-hmm. and i remember looking at you and being like yes and not only that, but like, listen to that, listen to what feels comfortable. You're going to be moving a lot. And a lot of it is intuitive movements that like, you know, your baby Ozzy is helping you figure out for him to get out. And so I think it was an important part for you to realize that and understand that for you to be able to like, not think about anything and like, you know, have a, have the support around you to support you getting into a position that's comfortable for you. But like, now that you had realized it, you have to think about it less. Yeah, it, it literally feels like, like, how can I, like, does this work? No, okay, let's try this. Okay, what about all fours? Literally, mm. Becca and I were trying all these different things. She brought out the poop stool at one point, like, put stacked a bunch of pillows on top. I was sitting on that, and then that didn't feel good, the next contraction. So we, like, took, it's like, yeah, it's like a game. But And I think sometimes to, like, the outside observer, it almost seems nonsensical, a woman's yes. movements during labor. Yeah. It's like, why are you, why is it, does it seem that for one contraction this feels good, but for the next one you have to be in a different position? But it is because it's so, intu- when you can feel everything that's going on in your body, mm-hmm. and yeah. again, you and Ozzy are working in unison, right? He's navigating your pelvis, and you're helping him navigate your pelvis, so you're intuitively listening to to what your body needs and responding to it by continuing to move. And it's not like any position's comfortable, but yeah. it's it's more tolerable in certain positions. Yes, that's exactly and what I think, it is. And I think that when you've when you've done that and you've especially when you've gone through labor and, and, and done it unmedicated, you you learn that there is that inner voice that is telling you, like, okay, this is what I need to be doing now. And in birth, I never challenge that. Yeah. yeah. I think that there is such a beauty. And it's why also like being able to be here early on is sometimes such a treat because I think that we as midwives, we do need to watch the natural process unfold. Mm. Like in order for us to really 
you know, learn how to read a labor. Part of that is spending a lot of time at labors and getting to know, like, you know, getting to know a woman's a woman's sounds during labor, getting to know, um, you know, the different aspects or the different things that that progress in an, in a normal labor. Um, but watching that intuitive side take over is always such a beautiful thing for me because it's like you are really tapping in to what your body is calling for you to do, but also just working so beautifully in rhythm with what your baby needs to help get to help him navigate his way out as well. Yeah. So I never challenge the those intuitive movements. And you really, I mean, you really sort of exemplify that over the course. Of, and I, I don't even know that we put a timestamp on this yet, but I think we're like only somewhere around seven or eight o'clock at this point where you're like getting yeah. in the shower. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're, but like, again, intuitively moving your hips, swaying with each one, asking for the pressure or the, or the support that you need from your support people. I mean, you were, you were really responding beautifully to what your body was calling you to do. You're welcome. That's nice. There was a point where it was ramping up early on, and I think we were it was you and me in the room with the peanut ball, and the peanut ball was kind of giving you the hardest contractions. Mm-hmm. So it's weird because we're kind of talking about how you're looking for the thing that's going to make you the most comfortable and like where it feels the best, but the peanut ball was making you feel the worst, <clears throat> but it was the most effective. Yeah, it's a game. Thanks so much yeah. to describe yeah, the yeah, peanut yeah. ball. Yeah, so <laughs> please tell please tell everyone what a peanut ball is. Um, well, so a peanut ball, it's the same, it's the same material as like a yoga ball or a, a, an exercise ball, but it's shaped literally like a peanut. And the mm. reason why it's so effective is because it allows a woman to get into, to like resting positions while keeping the hips open. So it mimics as if she were standing. So it creates the space in the pelvis for the baby to continue to move down while she's resting. Mm. And I think one of the reasons it's so intense is because a lot of the times the body needs therapeutic rest in labor, but taking contractions lying down tend to be a lot more uncomfortable. It was pure hell and torture. Yeah. That peanut ball. Like I literally never want to see it again. And it's funny. I woke up the next morning after the birth (laughs) and I like opened my eyes and the fucking peanut ball was like right next to the bed. And I messaged Becca and I was like, come and get this fucking peanut ball and (laughs) dispose of it. I was like, I don't want to see it ever again. Amazing. But didn't you end up using it for comfort a couple of days after you had? Never. I'm sure you did. I sprinted over for other reasons, you know, than the peanut ball has just come to check on you. Yeah. But I came over and immediately took it. Yeah, I was like, I need it gone. I can't look at it. It's gone. So I think around about this time we started to, we filled up the, um, we filled up the pool and we filled it with warm water and I got in I got in with you and um, it was around about this time that it was just you and I in the pool for a long time until that water started to get cool and it wasn't an enjoyable time. It was quite frustrating for you, I think. Yeah. So that, yeah, the first time we got in the pool, I think, I think I was just like expecting it, expecting it to be quicker from that moment on. I was like, okay, we're almost there. And I felt like it's funny. Yeah, I felt like I was in the pool for like a really long time and like nothing was happening mm-hmm. and I was just like getting frustrated and I remember like opening my eyes at one point and there was no one in the room and I remember just saying, where the fuck is everyone? Well, I was there, I was behind you. You were there, but like... We were right outside the door. I was like, where's my midwife? We, we, we heard all of it. We heard this. I was like, where is everyone that's supposed to help me get through this yeah, hell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was like, what are they doing? Just like out there having a fucking party? I was pissed. <laughs> um, and so then I think they had heard me because I really yelled it. And they came back into the room and I just remember saying to Abby... Like, why can't I push yet? Why can't I push yet? And Abby was like, I didn't say you couldn't push. Like, 
do you do you like mm. if you feel the urge like push mm. and i just remember being like oh okay well that makes sense like why am i you know then that's part of like midwifery care is like giving the the bodily autonomy back to the woman mm-hmm. and being like just whatever you feel is like happening in your body go with it mm-hmm. there's no like prompting from anyone outside of you which i forgot in that moment when i yelled at abby <laughs> and I was frustrated along with you. Oh, we cackled when we yeah. heard it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Oh, we should probably go in there and check on her, but we laughed. I was frustrated. I remember being frustrated along with you. I remember like being like, "Where the fuck is everyone? Like, what, <laughs> are, we, are we are we paying these women? <laughs> like, what's going on? Give us our baby." And it did feel like once we were on that peanut ball, that everything was just going, 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 and then everything just slowed down and got you know whatever. Yeah. And it felt like we were like it, it was like. Guys, could you do something to help this move? And it's like there was nothing. It was just like you've just got to go through this. Yeah, like that's the thing. There's, well, there's no way out but through, right? But also to yeah. back up, to back up a little bit, you got in the pool the first time. Yeah, and then got out, and then and then you got out. So that conversation about the when can I push hadn't happened yet. That was, was yeah, that was the next. That one. was oh, okay. about th- two and a half, three hours before well, that yeah, happened. Sketchy yeah. on the details. Um, <laughs> But part of the reason, and Abby can talk about this too, but like you guys had made so much progress alone that sometimes when you're at a point, and Abby can go into this further, but like when there's a room of people watching you, Mm -hmm. right? There's benefits to us literally hiding behind the door. And so I so I remember so I remember you getting in the tub the first time and you almost actually seem frustrated in the tub. And I do think that there is an early there is a too early point to get into the water. And obvi- I was obviously very hesitant to do any vaginal exams. Not that I think vaginal exams are necessary, but I think that we were kind of just letting your labor flow because your water had been broken for so long mm-hmm. that I didn't want to start the clock or introduce any form of, of outside bacteria. And so when you initially asked again in the water, I thought it was a great time. You seemed to be really cranking. And then I said to Becca that we should probably leave the room because you had made your first your first initial jump really into like shifting into this really beautiful active labor pattern was when it had just been you and Luke yeah so I was like okay we've been in here helping her for the last few hours like we with positional stuff in another shower like Becca was in the shower with you Luke was in the shower with you but we were all kind of standing around for a while let's leave and see what happens see if we can make that next shift into like transition which is usually defined as like eight centimeters closer to the finish line really and let's see if like us being out of here actually helps kind of crank things up. Yeah, and that makes sense to me now. And it made sense to me pre-labor. But like in labor, I was like, I just wish there was someone here telling me like how much longer. Not that you could. No, but and that's because a, you, and you that's can't. Normal, how are you to know? But I'm like, tell normal. me how much longer, how many more contractions. I need to know exactly when this is going to fucking end. Like, <laughs> but Oh, I, which, you, which you asked me. <laughs> I, yeah. think I, I think I yelled it at you how much yeah. longer and that, yeah that was like I think that was like peak frustration no peak frustration was the second time you got in the pool but it was a frustrating time getting out of the pool waiting around for a little while you got back in the shower you sat on the toilet back to front right you decided like gravity was going to help you so you got back out of the water yeah, yeah. and then and, and my job tr- changed I only had one job my job was like pressing like this against the hips and then all of a sudden it's it began to be like put pressure on the middle of your lower back yeah. and put and press down and it kind of changed a little bit a few times like and becca said that's a good sign that means that like the baby's coming or the baby's it's shifting ending, and yeah. yeah there's like it needs different things there he is that was it was, it was this thing that i was pushing against <laughs> and um and okay, so Len, let's go to the second time that we get into the pool, which is really like we, we must have been in there for it felt like 
two hours? Well, first we put her back on the peanut ball. Oh, yeah. Said, you're really going to hate me. Yes, but yes. I really think the yeah. last thing you need to do is get back. And this is where I normally pull out the peanut ball is like what seems like that nine and a half centimeter mark. Like right before, like you're just finishing off. For anybody who doesn't know, you dilate to 10 centimeters typically before pushing. So you're just finishing off that last bit of dilation. And I was like, Kari, I know you're going to fucking hate me right now. But I really think this is like the last thing you need. And I think once you're done, you're going to be like, it's just going to be smooth sailing. So mm-hmm. we got you. Back. And in my head, I was like, liar. But, but, like, but like a fucking champ, like a champ, you're like, whatever it takes. Yes. Like, fine. And you got back on the peanut ball. I don't even think I don't even do know. like 20 minutes. No, no, no. I don't know if you knew this because everybody was there and then it was me and Kara for a second. And she literally kicks the <laughs> peanut ball after like one or two <laughs> contractions. And she's like screaming at me. And I was like, girl, I get it. I was like, if, I was like, it's going to help you. But if you don't want it, I was like, I'm here for you. You do you. Do you. Yeah. And I, then that was the end of the peanut ball. And she was like, don't tell Abby. Well, two contractions is good. Yeah, it was like, I I did enough. Yeah, I was was over that peanut ball. I think at some point with that peanut ball or, you know, it was a few of those contractions on the bed. You, me and Becca were on the bed together and we were all making the sound of contraction together. (laughs) And and at one point I wanted to crack the joke because I cracked a few jokes throughout it were very, like, tame. I really wanted to crack this joke and I didn't. But I was like listening to, like we were all moaning together on the bed and I was like, this is what a threesome with Becca would be like. Because <laughs> we were all like, on the bed and I was like, this is hilarious. I won't intimate. crack the joke. Yeah, it was quite intimate. It was quite intimate. Okay, so, and then we get into the pool the second time. That's where I want to be now. Um, yeah. And um, the, we were heating up the water. I think that they we were pouring bo- boiling boiling water into the pool to get it nice and warm for you. I got in there behind you, and um, where were we at? It must have been – how long were we in the pool the second time, do you think? Does anyone know? I have no idea. So I think it was it was 15 minutes. We left the room again. It was 15 minutes before you screamed, this where is the fuck is happened. everybody? Oh, I, I want to okay. know what the fuck is happening. Mm-hmm. And so Beck and I walked back in there, and that's when you said to me, you were like, I just want to push. I was like, I didn't say that you couldn't push. Do you feel like you need to push? And you're like, kind of. And then that's essentially, I mean, that's when the body, the, the body took over with the very next contraction at that point. So I think maybe you'd been in for about 15 minutes again. And that's with the very next contraction, it became very obvious that you were moving with that very overwhelming desire to, to, to get, Ozzy, get Ozzy out. I'm going to add a personal experience right here. Go on. Because as a doula, you, and a midwife, you take on um, the energy in a light way of the person that you're supporting um i feel very very connected to all of the women that i support and we build this relationship through all of the prenatal sessions that we have to get us to a point where like the way i like to explain it is like we can look at each other and i can slightly understand what you need without us having to say anything and that's all the work leading up It is so much different (laughs) having this experience with your best friend that, like, I I feel like if Kara got a paper cut on her finger and I was at home, I would feel it for her. (laughs) Um, And it was an interesting experience because right after she yelled at me, 
<laughs> which I took and I was it was fine, like yeah. obviously. And we worked through it. And it's probably the first time I've yelled at you too. Screamed. Yeah. Which is also funny because I think you know other clients, other people that I've worked with have never screamed at me, but that's the level of comfort that we have. Mm-hmm. You can scream at me. Yeah. yeah. You know. But it was right after that where I don't think I've like. I felt like I felt what you were experiencing so much more. Yeah. And I had to go sit in the other room for a second. And Abby <laughs> looked at me and she's like, are you okay? I was like, I think I just like need to take two for a second. And I, I just need sat a break. in the room and, I was, and then that, and then seconds later, where is <laughs> I was a monster. I actually said to both Abby and Becca after the birth, I was like, was I like a monster birther? Because I felt like I was... A monster to everyone. Like, yeah. I felt like I was awful. I was yelling at everyone. I felt like I was, like, animalistic and, like, louder than any other, like, birthing person they've ever been with. Mm-hmm. But they were like, no, you were fine. You were like, totally oh, okay. fine. You were, yeah. Oh, yeah and but in the moment, I was like, oh, my God, I'm being a monster. But yeah, when, I mean, you, when you screamed for us, when we were in the other room and you were like, where the fuck is everybody? You were you were in the last, last bits of labor, right? Yeah. We call that transition. And transition is marked by so much uncertainty. And so you have so much going on in your body. Your contractions are virtually on top of each other. You're really feeling now like the baby descending into your pelvis. I mean, it is it is chaotic in your mind and chaotic in your body. And so that that like where the fuck is everybody feeling is so common like yeah. people want to look around and feel the safety of their team and knowing that like in in all the chaos that's happening inside all the turmoil that's happening inside like the safety of their team is surrounding them and so yeah. i get it you're like you're you know intuitively that you're at the end and you need to know for certain because everybody's now back in the room with you and like waiting for him to arrive yeah that's exactly right plus it's also Kara's personality but it was hilarious <laughs> it's also my personality it's also her personality her personality was that whole process yeah. yeah you know everybody's yeah you can't hide you can't no. hide in labor it's You're like very vulnerable this is, this is exactly who i am yeah and i need people around me to tell me how much longer and i think that's the good thing about home births you can be more vulnerable than in a hospital yeah my can i just say something my youngest daughter had a home had a birth in a hospital and the nurses told her to shut up yeah because she was screaming so much that my granddaughter's head was stuck in the birth canal. birth canal for over an hour. Maya actually thought she was going to die, that she was screaming. They didn't give her any epidural, no nothing, and it dislocated her hips. So she then, God love her, for the second child had a home birth because she just didn't want to have the experience of a hospital birth again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the midwife promised her, if you do everything I say, leading up to the birth, like all her care, you will have a beautiful home birth. And she did. Didn't and she, she did, yeah. I was there and it that. was beautiful. like three hours, yeah. you know, and she had a beautiful home birth. And I'm so proud of her to go and have a home birth with no drugs, having had that experience at a hospital. Yeah. Yeah. And not all hospitals are going to be like that, but that's what happened to her. Yeah. And it was very sad. Yeah, unfortunately, it's not at all an uncommon experience where um, I do get a lot of second-time birthers who, for one reason or another, had a traumatic first birth experience. And sometimes it's, you know, the nursing staff. There's actually a popular TikTok video going around right now where a, labor, a bunch mm. of labor and delivery nurses at a hospital in Atlanta um, were talking about the, the ick factor in their jobs. And so they're 
they're essentially complaining in this video about what patients ask of them. Um, anything from like, oh, when the partner asks for too much water and, um, all you know, very normal things, very normal things, very, right? very like normal things. You're, like, right. You, as a nurse, like your job is to really serve your patients. And so like water should be the least of your concerns, but, yeah. um, and the hospital had to address it, but obviously, you know, it sort of kind of ignited this firestorm of like, yeah, this is why women, why more, more often than not, especially now there was a CDC study released just recently that showed that there was a 30% increase in home births just in the last, so from 2019 to 2020 there was a huge jump mostly because of of covid um but since then we've seen a steady increase and a lot of it just has to do with the things that people unfortunately experience in a hospital you Mm -hmm. have very taxed nurses and a tax system and not a lot of autonomy you know being told to shut up when you're literally in the throes of you know labor (laughs) well Um, she said you're being ridiculous it can't be that painful i mean mean, how can you say that to a mother who's giving birth to a child you shouldn't the truth is you you shouldn't shouldn't be working and right. that kind of care. 100%. But, I mean, the pain is as bad as a tummy, tummy ache, though. For, for really. certain. It's just as bad as your last one. <laughs> like, I mean, I've never, I've never screamed during a tummy ache, I will say. So get it together, gals. You know what I mean? No, but I'm not, I'm not surprised Maya's second birth only took three hours. She's got a huge vagina. Um, Shout-outs to Maya, Kara's sister. Um, um, so let's uh, – okay, we're at the pushing phase. Yeah. Let's go to there. What was that like? Um, I welcomed that stage actually because yeah. I was just so over the same pain for 12 hours that mm. I was like, give me the ring of fire and give it to me now. Um, so <laughs> when I felt it, like the stinging sensation down there, I was like, fuck yeah, we're almost done. And I like welcomed that stage. Yeah. 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 And, um, and, and it was quick, I think. Like, I mean, quicker than... Yeah. How long was it? About an hour? I think it was about an hour. Um, and usually for a first time vaginal birth or uh we expect about two hours of pushing so she she actually pushed the baby out relatively wow. quickly mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not a small baby either and yep. um at that point there's a woman who came named johanna whose nickname is the vagina whisperer and she really is particularly helpful during that time is that right that's yeah. her thing yeah, so Johanna's um, my assistant. She's been attending births for about 15 or 16 years, and she has this method of, of pushing where it's a combination of, you know, pushing and breathing as soon as the head starts to crown, so as soon as we start to see about, you know, that much of the back of the baby's head presenting, um, where she helps just guide the baby out very slowly so it allows mom's tissue to stretch, you know, slowly in a very healthy way. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I have found since uh, she's sort of joined my team over the last couple of years is that I see a lot less vaginal tearing um, even or bad vaginal tearing because of just the very slow, gentle progression of the head. Yeah. So, yeah, that is her. That is her. Her thing. I was behind Kara for it, um, for the pushing bit, and I would con- I was just constantly trying to like see, because I was with you nearly the entire time, and I was like, I was also getting frustrated, and I wanted to yell at people <laughs> too. And Luke I- was getting tired. There was a moment there I I saw in videos and pictures where you just look exhausted. And I I'm was like, bitch. I will slap you. I obviously you. was not going to say. <laughs> anything to do with me at the time i was not going to say i'm tired or anything like that i i will say though you know advice to partners out there like rest when they rest Mm. like if your partner is like in between a contraction they're resting you should too because kind of like it is 
it is more than an average day's work for you. Like it is <laughs> fairly laborious, not anything like the person who's going through it. But see how careful you've got to be when you talk about this shit. Like you really don't want to say that it was hard for you. But I, I think it's good advice to rest when 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 it's time to rest. Okay, so um, we see the we see the head coming through, and I really want to get into detail on this, Abby and Becca. Um, I don't want to shy away from what happened. Um. So at some point we we got the head coming all the way through and I see that there's there's uh, Johanna Abby everybody's there and we're constantly checking the the you guys are constantly checking the computer. It's like he's really starting to come out now. And you guys are constantly checking the computer, the computer and I think the, the heart rate monitor, you mean? For t- you were oh, doing no. that but also you were looking for time. Yes, yeah. What's going on there? So um if I remember correctly, so his head came out pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so you birth the head. Uh, there's there's these cardinal movements of birth where, so the head comes, and then the baby naturally rotates to the side. So the, when the head comes, the head is usually facing mom's rectum, so mm-hmm. looking down. And then the baby will rotate to the side so that they're facing mom's leg. And that's lining the shoulders up with the widest diameter of the pelvis, right? Mm-hmm. So it's allowing the shoulders to kind of easily pass through the pelvis. Um, so Ozzy rotated, but then with the next, with her next contraction, the next push, um, the shoulders didn't come right away. So she gave, you know, two or three pushes and we saw no forward progression of the shoulders. So at that point, um, you know, we, in some cases, there's a, there's a clinical, I guess, def, clinical difference between what we call sticky shoulders versus a true shoulder dystocia. Um, sticky shoulders is just kind of when the shoulders get stuck and it takes a little bit of maneuvering to get the baby out. A shoulder dystocia is when the shoulder, it could be the anterior shoulder, so the front shoulder that's presenting, or the posterior shoulder, could be different depending on which way the baby is. Um, one of them is stuck on the pubic bone. Um, and that is considered, you know, I guess an obstetrical emergency because we now have the head that is out and the body that is still inside. And because the head is out, blood is essentially being trapped in the baby's head. So things aren't flowing the way that they need to be. Um, in Cara's case, I don't remember it taking very long. I think we did essentially one maneuver, freed the shoulder, and then Ozzy was born. But the reason we check times is because we have to note the length of time between the head and the body coming and the length essentially of the, of the dystocia. Because um, for that amount of time, the baby's, ox- the baby's body isn't oxygenating properly. Mm-hmm. And so we have to kind of keep tabs on, on how long because we only have a certain amount of time um, before, you know, it becomes, I guess, a, a very, a, like a true emergency, mm-hmm. um, a more complicated situation. But in Clara's case, I mean, Ozzy came very quickly after maneuvers, um, so it didn't take very long for him to come out. Um, but then, you want me to continue on? Yeah, I'm so just then, interested in what the maneuvers, are the maneuvers by you guys? I don't think much, we just, yeah, well, I don't think, yeah. pull my legs up. Very, yeah. That, yeah. So the first maneuver is something called McRoberts, where we just hyperextend the legs back, so she pulls her legs really far back. I'm literally holding um, my knees. Yeah, mm. and it, so that's all she, I think that was all Cara had to do, yeah. and then. What's we, that called, the McRoberts? The McRoberts. It's how you were, con- how she was conceived, interesting. <laughs> the McRoberts? Yeah, you holding your knees. I wonder who McRobert is. <laughs> He's a doctor. Oh. <laughs> Good old McRobert. Robert. He's good at the conception the and at the labor end. Um, 
Uh, yeah, no, but tell me a little bit about that that maneuver bit. Yeah, so McRoberts is just you hyperextend the legs backwards, which essentially opens up the diameter of the pelvis wider, which can creates more space for the shoulders to come. So again, Kara didn't need much maneuvering. There are other maneuvers that we could try uh, if that hadn't freed him. But um, it was enough to just be able to kind of pop his shoulder underneath the anterior the front part of her pelvis so the anterior shoulder kind of pop it under and then i believe he came with the next push after that yeah wow and because he'd been in the canal for so long he hadn't had taken a breath or like there was no oxygen please tell me at that that point we you know we ozzy's out we bring him out of the water put him up on Kara's chest um and all babies get one minute in to to you know just start breathing. Um, there's something that we that we call out at one minute. It's called an APGAR score, where we assess the baby's appearance, we assess the baby's heart rate, and then we score them based on that APGAR score. And that's always done at one minute because essentially he's never had to breathe on his own. He's always gotten oxygenated blood through his cord, but he's never actually had to, he's never had his respiratory tract have to kick in. And actually, I worked for a midwife who had been a midwife for like 40 some odd years early on in my career. And she had always said that waterborne babies should actually get two minutes. Because they're born under the water, they don't have the benefit of starting to breathe when they're st- when only their head is out. They really don't start until they're out of the water and into this atmospheric pressure. So um, in Ozzy's case, he just didn't. Um, well, he I also had a short cord, right? And it was wrapped. Have, and yeah, it was, it was, was whole... I think it was wrapped around his neck one time. Mm-hmm. Um, which and it was a little bit on the tighter side, so sometimes that'll impact it. Um, and you did have a short cord, so we didn't have a lot of slack, so sometimes you know that can impact it. But truly, one out of every ten babies will need some form of respiratory support, and in some cases, it's you know a little bit more, but. Off, you know, that could still just include stimulating the baby, kind of tickling the feet, rubbing up and down the spine just to get them to cry. Um, but in certain cases, those one out of 10 are going to need a little more support. Um, and I can't pinpoint exactly what it was with Ozzy that, you know, he didn't sort of kick in right away. He I, he always had a very strong pulse. So his heart was going just fine. He always had a great heart rate. His, his tone was a little, was okay. It wasn't great. Um, but he just never really sort of initiated respirations on his own. So slightly before the one minute mark, because it was kind of obvious that he wasn't going to initiate on his own. He had made some like whimpers, so it wasn't like he didn't try anything, but he wasn't actively breathing. So slightly before the one minute mark, um, we started to, you know, resuscitative efforts. Um, part of our training as midwives is we have to recertify a neonatal resuscitation every two years. So every two years I take a 12 hour you know, 12 hour training or workshop on um, how to help a newborn baby breathe because the mechanisms by which they breathe are different than the way that we breathe. They have Mm -hmm. fluid in their lungs up until the moment they're born. That fluid needs to be pushed out in order to expand the lungs. So it's a slightly different, different way that we do resuscitation different for newborns. Um, In his case, probably going to get a lot of shit for this too. In his case, um, because it seemed like he was there and he was working with me, I did something that I don't normally do where I did full-blown mouth-to-mouth on him. Mm-hmm. Um, so rather than grabbing the plastic Ambu bag, kind of putting that over his mouth and breathing into him, I used my mouth seal as a seal over his mouth and just started breathing for Abby him. Abby was his first make-out session. I did. It was, I was, his, I was, it will always be Ozzy's first kiss. Wow. Um, but I think um, it was interesting because I said to Johanna, give me the bag, and she had said, just give him breaths. Um, and... 
you know, I don't know what it was necessarily about that situation, but to, to use, you know, my mouth as opposed to the bag. But I will say that there is a part of me that believes that, you know, when we do mouth to mouth on a baby as opposed to using the bag, that we are saying to this baby, like, hey, this is the world, like, welcome, come into your body, take a breath. And rather mm-hmm. than welcoming with a plastic, you right. know, plastic yeah. seal over the face, it's it's the warm breath of a human that wants to meet them. And yeah. I always say that when I do resuscitations, that there is an energy transfer between me and that baby. I mean, mm-hmm. I am using my life breath to give them life, yeah. um, to help them breathe. And, you know, it, I don't, I think it was a full three and a half minutes. Um, he was, he was working with me. I will yeah. say that Ozzy was never not fully there. Mm-hmm. Um, Ozzy was always there. He was always trying. It just, you know, he was, he was stunned or the, the impact of the shoulder dystocia kind of just delayed things a little mm-hmm. bit for him, but he was always there. He was always present. He was always You were with all me. also so cool, calm and collected yeah. that I, for not yeah. one second, was like there. worried. I was more just like shocked that he was out. I was like, thank God mm-hmm. that is over. But I, you guys just made it so like calm. It was just like, okay, this is normal. But I think I think that's actually an important element of my job. I do. If there, if there is a skill that I'm very comfortable with, it will always be neonatal resuscitation. Like mm-hmm. I think I'm very comfortable helping a baby come to you. And maybe again, because it is the way I feel about it, where there is this energy transfer going on and you know, I I literally feel like I am giving whatever life I have to this child, yeah. and so. Um, but I think that when you when you make when you make an emergency out of everything, you're elevating the energy in the room to a place it doesn't need to be. And I think in a lot of situations, that's what causes trauma. For women. Well, if that was a hospital, he would have been whisked off to His, the NICU right. straight away. So and I wouldn't hospital, have got to hold right. him. Or... Well, so yeah, in a hospital to do resuscitation, they actually cut the cord, which is always interesting to me because the cord is a baby's lifeline. Yeah. Up until the moment that that cord, that that cord stops pulsing, it is sending oxygenated blood into your baby. And mm-hmm. so even though he is not breathing, as long as that cord is intact, he is getting oxygen through his umbilical cord. So it's not like Ozzy was ever oxygen deprived. It's just at a certain point that cord is going to stop providing enough oxygen and so he needs to start breathing. Um, And that's why we help, you know, that's why he needed to start breathing and that's why we have to resuscitate. Um, But yeah, I mean... There is there is a picture in that Becca shot that I I think is a they great photo. Oh, oh, you're holding out on me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she, she she sent it to me, um, and I actually I, I love it because I think that it 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 is sort of it, a time it's, birth at its best. It highlights like yeah. what what we do yeah. and the way that we do it. Um, yeah. And again, it's not I wouldn't always do it that way, but it just seemed fitting in that situation. Um, you can do it for my children. I will. I'll give you the green yeah. light. Yeah. Just. Put my mouth now on I want to see the picture. Just in your vagina. Yeah. yeah. I want to see the picture. I mean, they didn't have. I will. There's there oxygen was... bottles in the old days. I mean, they would have had no. done a lot of things. Yeah, and so um, but I think that I think that it's important that we don't we don't elevate like the energy in the room. We don't yeah. get scared. Like if you remember, I would say to you guys, like, hey, just talk to him. Like, welcome, Ozzy. And I remember yeah. Rebecca really loudly like calling his name. Like, yeah. hey, buddy, we're so excited to meet you. I remember the two of you guys talking to him because it's like that's. That's how you get a newborn to come into his body. Yeah. That's how you welcome a baby into the world, not by, you know, cutting Slapping them him around. Well, once upon a time, and they smack was... their bums. Yeah. They shake him. them upside but down I still, and smack I mean, their we, didn't, we, don't, we didn't smack no, him, but, but we, we like, tickle his feet. We, we yeah. massage the back of their spines. We definitely do things to try and stimulate them to wake up. But he, he needed a little bit more than that. I have yeah. a question for you. Oh, yeah. sorry. I remember... I remember because I was a little bit more conscious than you. You were done. You were like finished. But I just remember to get quite quite um, real. Aussie floating to the top of the pool. <laughs> he, <didn't laughs> float. Well, he he came up and he was just limp. 
Yeah. And three minutes, three and a half minutes is a really long time to have a limp baby. Like, I mean, like for the parents, like yeah, I know you guys know exactly parents. what you're Right. And then, here. but I, I just, I, I think so, so it was delivered onto your chest and I was right behind you mm-hmm. and I was looking down at him and, 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 and Johanna was flicking his feet and you were rubbing him and you were saying, talk to him, talk to him guys. And you guys were calm. But I was like, I, I, even though I, you were calm, I could still tell like, it was like, we're in action stations. Like this isn't, we're calm, but we need to move. And then you, and then, and then like he got tipped upside down, some water came out. We maybe put the plastic up briefly. Then you did mouth to mouth, but the whole time, and you're rubbing him. And then you asked me, Abby, you kept on asking me to talk to him. And I, and I think I thought it was a little bit because you could see that I was freaking out. So I connected with you at one point because if you remember, I have Ozzy. So Ozzy's cord is not very long mm-hmm. and I'm leaning over the tub. Cara is more below me and you're almost in, in the light. Like you you and I are like at eye level with each other. Mm-hmm. And I did. I looked at your face at one point. And I could see panic written all over it, um, which again is why like it is important to me to stay calm. Mm-hmm. Because One, I, I, I'm going through mental steps in my head. I have to remember my counts. I have to remember how much I'm inflating his lungs. There's things that I ha- there's steps that I have to go through. And so for me to remain calm, hopefully is, is showing you like, hey, this is not, I am not scared. Mm-hmm. I know that he is going to be fine. And so like you feed off my energy, but Yes, I could tell. I I can actually still see your face <laughs> in too. my head. You there was definitely it was like your jaw was tense. You were you were definitely you were praying, you, were, right? you were shocked. You I were was, definitely in in, a, in like a bit of a panic state. I was sure. also more concerned about you than I was about 100%. Ozzy. 100%. Like wow. I wasn't concerned about Ozzy at all. I didn't even think about him. I was like, "Oh my god, Luke." <laughs> and, like, and I've done, you know, I've had again and one in more concerned for ten yeah. percent of all babies, right? That's yeah. that's the, the amount of times that I'm gonna have to do this. And yes. so it always is dad. Yeah. Because mom is in this euphoric bubble of having like she's in an oxytocin high, she's on this birth high. And so mom very rarely sort of sees like really is feeling and absorbing what's going on. Rebecca and I did a birth once with a much more complicated resuscitation and I'll never forget that while I was resuscitating this child who for about two minutes I wasn't really sure was really working with me Mm. um I had a bag on her and and eventually ended up also doing mouth to mouth but um she uh, I remember the mom they didn't know what they were having and the mom's like what is it and she's like she's like asking me and in my head I'm like your kids are fucking breathing right now. Like I don't know what, what it is. Like I'm not concerned with that at all. But she was like, and she went to look while he was resuscitating this baby. It was like, holy shit! Like wow. clearly doesn't like no no like she didn't she wasn't grasping fully what was happening. And so that is my experience often, where like mom is still like in this other place and dad is like in like Addict. like holy shit what is happening with my child right mm-hmm. now yeah mm-hmm. yep. and then once he did take his first breath and started to cry we know he's 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 good yeah right that's when we know he's good and then so we still assess we still continue to check and of course sure, yeah because like, he still has to clear i've effectively essentially when you do resuscitation you're inflating the lungs to push the fluid that they have in there out of their lungs right so at that point i've helped push the fluid out which is allowing him to expand his lungs and then he can start breathing on his own so i've done half the job for him but we just make sure that he's continuing to to do what he needs to do and clear the rest of it but at that point he ozzy was great after that yeah and then how does it feel as for you guys when you finished the job 
like that or you've still got a few things to do but how does that feel does do you feel an overwhelming sense of achievement then <laughs> or like i mean i know you do it all the time so it's like a hard question i don't know like what does it feel like um i mean i think there's a sense of relief again there you know having worked with babies that were slightly that were that were definitely actually more compromised than ozzy I, I don't think that there was ever a moment where i was like entirely uh unsure that he was going to come around I, I knew that i was working with a baby that was working with me mm-hmm. um but there's definitely just a sigh of relief i think mostly for you guys though where it's just like okay like great you know this they're they this is their baby's fine he's crying like they can sort of like let let go of whatever tension they're holding on to or whatever stress they now have in them and he's fine and he's going to be fine mm-hmm. but yes there's always you know i think there's <laughs> I remember very early on in my days as a student um, having to do, having to be involved in a very rough resuscitation. And I remember saying to myself, well, at least I didn't shit my pants and hide in the corner, right? Yes. Like you have to be able to like face the yeah. hard shit. And so at the end, I'm like, okay, great. It's another resuscitation where I didn't shit my pants and stand in the corner. So I guess I can continue. <laughs> I was the I one that shit my pants. This profession. <laughs> shit the pool. Shit the pool. With yeah. me in it. Yes. <laughs> You said I did a little poop. You did a little poop. I think it's a I I would like to add, too, I feel like um, being able to witness midwives do their thing so many times in such a beautiful human way, I rarely ever am concerned about what's going on. And Mm -hmm. I feel like the more I see every single time that we work together, my trust and love and admiration grows every time but as that continues to grow and that trust goes deeper and deeper and like my awe for what you guys do expands i i like worry almost not at all Mm. like never yeah and i will say because he had to be resuscitated i would i trust abby even more because (laughs) of that experience like Mm. i would and and midwives like yeah. so much more because of that experience. It just, just like restored my faith in like natural birth. Mm. And it, because, you know, yeah. But I think it's also important to, to speak to like the relationship that we develop over the course of your pregnancy. You know, the average OB appointment is five to seven minutes mm-hmm. long. Yeah, I know. Five to seven minutes long. That's it. That's how much face-to-face time you spend with your doctor in the average appointment where by the end of your pregnancy, we had seen each other 12 times. I mean, our prenatals were like two hours long. The first hour was just us like catching up and gossiping. Can I ask you a question, Abby? What would you look for in a midwife? It's so funny. So I've never had to. Uh, so my aunt is a midwife. She's been a midwife for 20 years. And so I never have actually ever had to I- interview like my own midwife. It was always just a given. She would she would be the one to catch my children. No two ways about it. Um, I think that, you know, I think very much the same way that you spoke to like hiring a doula um, where they should you should feel like you're in the presence of someone that you could be friends with. I do think that's important. I think that over the course of your pregnancy that you that there is a certain rapport and a level of trust and a bond that you want to develop with this person because again you're going to be in situations like that with them and you want to trust at the end of the day that person's going to show up for you and they're going to show up for your baby um so i think that's that speaks volumes just in terms of like you know making sure that you have sort of an emotional connection with someone birth is a highly intimate experience and you want to be selective with the people that you choose to be with you in that in that experience 
Um, I think, you know, qualifications matter, obviously. Like, uh, I think a lot, you want someone who has a, you know, a certain level of experience, although, you know, new, it's not to discount that new midwives can't be great midwives. Um, but I think, I think ultimately you should really feel like you're sitting and having a conversation with someone that you just like talk to forever. Um, because in the moment you, you want to have a, a firmly well-developed relationship with the yeah. person that's going to be assisting you. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And someone who works under pressure like you, because I think that's important. I don't, someone see, I don't who, know how you interview that out of someone, but maybe, I think, I think you can always ask. Yeah. And through a boot camp, really. Yeah. I well, think, I, I, and people ask me and I think that I, I, I think I will normally say, I think the way that I talk about those experiences kind of mm. speaks to the way that I, I treat them in, in like as they're happening and just yeah. in a very Do you calm have a part manner. that you enjoy the most? Of being a midwife? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of people assume that women become midwives because they love babies. Yeah. Um, and the truth is I actually I, I, I do, hate I, babies. I don't <laughs> I definitely don't. But think when you think about our journey together, right? Our relationship. So we started seeing each other somewhere around nine weeks mm -hmm. and I saw you through thirty weeks of pregnancy and I'll see you through six to eight weeks postpartum. Ozzy's only a very small portion of that. I mean, yeah. he's just that last tail end, right? So, so yeah. much of it for me is is the relationships that I develop with my clients. Um, I do, I have a tendency to get very close with my clients just in terms of like, um, you know, like we're best friends yeah. afterwards. Um, I think that working with women in this environment, being able to be a part of, you know, such a, such a life-changing experience and yeah. it's, it's it will never cease to amaze me how much birth is such a transformative event and mm -hmm. it will never cease to sadden me that so many people look at it as such a traumatic or tragic event almost yeah. it's like okay fine there's a baby at the end but like the actual act of it is so horrible because it really it, it challenges you in a way that i think we are so rarely challenged in our lives yeah. um, mm. But I think, yeah, I think working with women, especially from like all different walks of life, getting to meet women in the most interesting of careers, I, I think that's that's that probably what I value the why most. You should be a midwife. That's right. Yeah. That right there, not the fact that you want to, you know, see a baby at the end of it. That journey that you just said. So that's probably the good question to ask a midwife. Is why yeah. did we why become, did one? Right. become one? Yeah, and, and base it on that. And Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Tracy, <laughs> the Tracy zone. Uh, she's literally taken over this uh, podcast <laughs> as she often takes over a night of drinking. If you ever have a friend over and Tracy's nearby, she'll drift down the stairs wearing, <laughs> wearing a kimono, pour herself a wine and take over the entire night as what she's done with this podcast right here. So let's just let me take it back. Uh, what are the advantages? We've talked a lot about what the advantages of a home birth are. Um, what are the what are the cons of, if anything? Like, are there cons? I mean, so there's always going to be women that uh, risk out of home birth for medical reasons. So there are mm -hmm. women where it's just not safe to give birth outside of a medical setting. Um, so certainly those women should not, should think otherwise or choose otherwise, I guess. Um, I mean, women can always have unassisted births at home if they so choose. But mm -hmm. um I mean, there's always, you know, there's there's roughly 1% of risk factors where being in a hospital and the timing of it certainly makes a difference. But I don't know, outside of, 
in LA, I don't think there are many cons because like you guys live seven minutes from a major medical facility. Mm -hmm. And in most parts of the country, women drive over an hour to get to a hospital. And those hospitals don't even necessarily have on-call anesthesiologists or on-call um, obstetricians there 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. Where with us, it's like if we have to transport to the hospital in an emergency, we're seven, 10, 15 minutes from a hospital and they have on-call OBs and on-call anesthesiologists. And if you needed to be wheeled in straight into a C-section, you would get into a C-section faster than, you know, let's say a woman in Nebraska would. Yeah. Um, so I don't, in LA, I don't know that there are many cons because again, like we could get to major help so quickly, like, more, faster than most women in this country could mm -hmm. that I don't really see, I don't see a con unless you want an epidural. If you want an epidural, you're screwed at home. And Becca, question for you. Um, what, what do you think has been taught to people about birth that needs to shift? Like people, like what Abby was just saying about I that. think actually that to rephrase that is you know what isn't being taught about birth yeah needs to be shifted completely because i find it fascinating that we as women i'm going to sp speak specifically for america we don't find out so many things until we're actually pregnant like there's so much that we don't learn and i think as a society we just don't talk about birth enough mm -hmm. that's why i really love midwifery care and home birth because those get to tell stories of just straight physiological birth um where people can actually learn what's happening so i feel that like there's just such a lack of information there's also people that you know get to the point of being pregnant and and they don't i'm not saying this is a bad thing but they are not doing any research and they right. just go with the flow and mm -hmm. what the flow has been in america for the last 100 years has been over-medicalized, um, you know, inter strong interventions and not really supportive of, of women's choices in autonomous birth. And also male-dominated for some reason. Yeah. Like, it's like, why are men di dictating how women are giving birth? I think we also, like, we're conditioned even as teenagers now to to not to not trust our bodies really yeah. so very few girls or women are taught about you know what their cycles mean what um what the different phases of their cycles are why what what signs are their bodies showing them that they're in different phases of their cycle and then you know if you're 15 and you have you know bad menstrual cramps here just take this pill make it all go away with very little explanation of the long-term ramifications of those pills and then you know you get to a childbearing age and it's like okay well how do i get pregnant and mm -hmm. you at that point no you've, you've had a period for 15 20 years but you have no idea when when to even when to try what your cycles mean um and then you know women are challenged by getting pregnant and so then you know it's 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 like we are so disconnected mm -hmm. from our bodies that when it comes time to give birth sure why wouldn't most women just say numb me up and drug me out and like and i'll just listen to whatever you say yeah and we've lost trust in our bodies yeah a hundred percent we don't think that we're capable of of giving birth naturally. Like so many women have messaged me and been like, I could never do that. I, I'm like, yes, you can. You yes, can. You could. I went to a, I went to a friend's dinner party a couple months ago and I good, a friend of mine introduced me to, to two other women and she says, Oh, Abby's a midwife. And I spent the next 30 minutes listening to these, you know, what they described as less than great birth experiences. And in one case she called it traumatic. Mm. Um, and 
she said, I would so, I would love to have a home birth. I think it would just be so great, but I, I don't know that I can handle the pain. Mm. And when I hear things like that, I think, I think it makes me sad in so many ways that we, again, are, are so conditioned to think that like birth is somehow this, this challenge, this, this thing that we can't possibly do without, without medication, without drugs. And I'm not saying that every woman has to. I think it's more so the mindset that you can't possibly achieve it. You can't mm. accomplish it. Mm. Um, when in reality, it's like, you know, contractions, they're never, they're never going to be bigger than us. They, they're from us. They are us. They're a part of, our, of what is happening inside of our body. So it, no one's ever died from the pain of labor. And yet women all over the world will think that they just can't possibly accomplish it without, you know, the highest levels of narcotics. Yeah. Um, but even again, after such a, a mm-hmm. shitty hospital experience, something that she considers traumatic, that she will continue to feel like her only option is to go back to the hospital. And I pray that when she gets pregnant with her third, that she actually calls me because I think that she, she would after two, you know, less than ideal births have a beautiful home birth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll I see. wish that for everyone. Interestingly, it reminds me of the thing about uh, that I heard from a, a hospice nurse about death. And it's like we always spend our lives and our last few days and weeks trying to fight death rather than just accepting it for as it comes. And our body has a natural progression to death. And it sounds like it's the same for birth. Like you don't have to there's something very natural happening happening to you that like if you trust your body like it will take care of you most most of the time but i just want to go back to the birth um the moment of the birth because i think there was something so cool in there that um i want to talk to kara about kara at some point you said i can't do this in fact there was a number of times where you said i can't do this mm-hmm. and at one point i whispered in your ear like a thing from david goggins if anybody knows who that is who said it's a seal it's actually part of seal training that your body can do 40 percent more than what you think it can and you go and you nod and like then you get back to work and then there was another point where you're like i just can't do this and it's like and somebody i think it was abby was like well or maybe it wasn't Abby. It was like, well, what's your, what are your options? You, we, we just do go through this at the hospital if we go to the hospital. Yeah, that's Abby. <laughs> yeah, and then, but, but tell me what that was like, what that means now for you now that you've done it when you weren't sure that you could. Mm-hmm. What does it feel like now? It feels like I won the biggest trophy. <laughs> I mean, it feels great, like yeah. to go into something that you. I mean, I was confident about it going in, but of course there are doubts. You're like, shit, am I actually going to be able to do this unmedicated? So to be able to to do it and to come out the other side, you're like, I'm a fucking champion. Like, it feels great. It feels you incredible. Are, you are a fucking champion. Thanks. Are you single? <laughs> you want to make out? You're very attractive. Um. I've had so much fun talking today. We've gone way over time, but I just want to say thanks so much for joining us here on the Zaddy Zone. It was really eye-opening, enlightening. Full couch. Yeah. Um, I just, sorry, we should ask uh, Ozzy. Have you got anything to say? Good. <laughs> Not a public speaker like his dad, but um, so thank you so much for joining us, Abby, Rebecca, Tracy, Ozzy, Cara. If you have enjoyed this episode of the Zaddy Zone, I encourage you to subscribe and rate our podcast five stars. And if you feel so generous, please write a review. Say how much you loved it. Um, I only want to provide value to you, and I hope you're feeling some value by listening to it. We're not asking for any money. Just a nice old rate, review, subscribe. XOXO. Zaddy.